say, for instance, it got out, and you got everybody coming to him, and they're coming to him. And, and remember, they weren't just looking for the Savior, but they were also looking for the king, a military king. So they would come, and they would be prompting him to put an army together versus coming what he really came to do, which was what? To set up his kingdom, to preach repentance. So then that was the law, all right? And then another thing was, if they knew that he was the one, then people would seek to do to him what they did to Stephen. What did they do to Stephen? Um, right, so they would try to kill him before time. Because it was already set up how Jesus was to die. So those are some of the reasons why um, that was that messianic secret, why he was always telling them, don't tell them about it. So everybody can keep it straight. So you're, you're absolutely right. So some, there's many Gospels, but only these four passed the test of canonicity. And that is based on those who lived at the same time. They looked at the documents. Like, I heard Peter. I heard Peter. And Peter didn't preach like this. He didn't speak like this. I heard Paul. He didn't, these don't match. So they rejected those, right? And what those books are called, those books are called, uh, it's a long word, uh, they're called the pseudepigrapha. Pseudepigrapha. Now, the beginning of that pseudo, whenever you hear pseudo means like false. So you have a whole bunch of books, like the Gnostic Gospels, those books they call the Lost Gospels of the Bible. Those are written by folks who were maybe not around in the 2nd century, but maybe they were written in the 4th century. And they were ascribed to these guys, but then the early Christians who lived said, no, that doesn't go in here because it doesn't fit what we know he taught. So when you put these four Gospels together, you get a complete, you get a complete picture of the life of Christ. Make sense? All right, so now, few questions in review. Few questions in review. What, how, uh, let's see. Um, who wrote the book of Mark? Mark. Uh, every time somebody else just say Mark. Peter. Oh. John Mark. John Mark. Now, John Mark was. And we and let's look at the scriptures here. Uh, let's look at uh, somebody read for me Acts twelve twelve. Um, and somebody get Colossians four ten. While you're going there, I ask this question. All right, and and, and John Mark now. Um, uh, what was John Mark's relation to Barnabas? What can you prove? Was it good? You got scripture for it? Yeah. Let's read Acts 12 12. What's Acts 12 12 say? You see that? John, whose surname was Mark, his mother was Mary. Not Mary, not, not Jesus' mother Mary. But this Mary was the sister of Barnabas. Now, some say, well, wouldn't that make a nephew? But in the way that they explained things back then, nephew slash cousin, uh, Colossians 4, uh, Colossians 14, what's it say? Now, somebody get verse Peter 5, 13. What's it say there? Colossians, uh, we just read, did we just read Colossians 14? Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas, 
cousin Mark about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Barnabas' cousin Mark. All right? And then uh, also 1 Peter 5.13. Now that's Peter talking, and he's referring to Mark, his son. Now Mark wasn't his biological son, but oftentimes, like Paul would call Timothy his son, like son in the gospel. So they had a very close relationship, yes. Who? Mark is, in some translations, um, Mark, is, Mark is like the English translation. His name was Marcus. Um, uh, Marcus was a very popular Greek name at the time, so it is it is the same person. All right. So, but now when he says son, he's talking about my son in the gospel. All right. Now, next question was was uh was Mark was Mark an eyewitness of the life of Jesus? Yeah. No, he was not. No. Matter of fact, he was uh, he was. Uh, Peter's interpreter. And this book, uh, Mark, was written as the last apostles began to die off. Uh, it was written in Rome, as a matter of fact. So when you talk about his readership, his readership were uh, Romans, uh, those Jews living in Rome, uh, uh, also Christians living in Rome. So the thing is, uh, the, the early church, they said, okay, all the apostles are dying off. So wouldn't it make sense for them to say what? Think about it. They're starting to die, so somebody needs to record all this. Somebody needs to write this down so that we don't lose this history, this eyewitness stuff, right? So now, Mark was not an eyewitness of the account or the life of Jesus. He was not an eyewitness, but Peter was. And Peter was the one who uh, told all this information to Mark, and he wrote it down. All right? So now, uh, of all the gospel accounts, we're in the book of Mark, of all the gospel accounts, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yes? Right. Matter of fact, this is what you would say. Sometimes you would have a preacher. They would go around preaching. Matter of fact, if you read, and um, also if you read uh, some of Paul's writing, Paul had very bad eyesight. To the point where he was starting to lose his sight. So he had a scribe. Somebody who, as he would speak, they would write it down. Uh, but it does not interrupt the fact that Paul was the inspired writer. He was the one chosen by God. Peter was the one. You see, so the thing is, um, you would often have their, their students who would walk behind you. You know how students take notes? So, but then he would have one who was, who was in particular, write down and record everything that he was saying. So that it could be passed on so others could continue to study and have a standard in which to compare. Remember what I told you? Why do we only have four Gospels? There's many Gospels. But when they take those others and compare it to the ones that they know that Peter wrote, then they can, they'll be able to tell that's not him. Might be some useful information of it, but it doesn't pass the test of canonicity. Therefore, it, does not get, it doesn't get into the 66 books of the Bible. All right? So... As they were passing, they said, let's write it down. So this is what Mark did. Now, of all those four Gospels, which was the first written? 
Mark. Mark, that's correct. Now, Mark was written after about how long? How long had, how, how long had God been silent? 400 years. Yeah, now, this is what I want you to do. Look at your Bible. Between the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, and uh, Mark, there was 400 years which God went silent. All right? He went silent, and then he began to speak again. And uh, he came in the form. Now, when he started speaking, what is that period of time, that 400 years? What is that 400 years called? Anybody know? I'm going to tell you. The intertestinal period. It is the intertestinal period. Can anybody tell me what was going on with God's people within that 400 years? Six different kingdoms. Absolutely right. They were ruled by six different kingdoms during that period of darkness. And we, we talked about last week, one of the reasons why God stopped talking was because of the, 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 the arrogance of men and how they were rejecting his word. So, again, they had to go through some things until they could find that appetite. The spiritual drought set in. Okay? That makes sense? Everybody remember all that? Alright. So, John Mark, we got that part. We got that down. Now, um, next thing. How were the people to know who the God was? When God began to speak again, and right there in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read Mark chapter 1, uh, let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Somebody go ahead, go ahead and read. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, who send no strap I am not worthy to stoop down and leave. I am baptized you with water, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's correct. Now, all right, now we just read that. Now, Mark, from the very first verse, who is he about to write this book about? John. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Right there in the first verse, it says the gospel, the gospel Mark, about the life of Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news. It is the good news of what? What is the good news? What's the good news? What is the gospel? The life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. Right. It is the good news that Jesus Christ is coming. He's going to live. He's going to die. He's going to be resurrected again. So it's the good news. So when, 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 when Jesus was born, you know, what's that song they always sing every year? But joy to the world. Right, see, we know that part. All right, so joy to the world, the Lord is coming. So joy, because the world was in a state of what? 400 years of what? 
chaos, darkness without God. So then the fact that the Messiah, who had been promised at the fall in Genesis 3.15 back in Eden, the fact that he's appeared, what would that mean to everybody? Wouldn't that be good news? <laughs> it's good news that he's come, right? To turn on the lights. Alright? He's coming with the gospel. Now, where do we see the gospel? We see the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And we see uh, the gospel in Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 15 and t- well, 14 through 16. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So it's in the coming of Jesus that salvation was going to be made available. Romans 1, 14 through 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Where is God's power unto salvation? All right? Now, we know that uh, Mark's gospel is going to be about Jesus Christ. But who does he start off talking about? Who? John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He's called a Baptist because he baptized. John the Baptizer in, in, in the Greek is actually Immerser. John the Immerser is who he starts to talk about. Now, my question is this. Why is he talking about John? How do you know? Isaiah. Isaiah? Prophesied. Where did Isaiah prophesy at? In the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. But where about? Mercy, right? But what is he also? 
justice. He's very just. Meaning, he breaks his law. Trouble. That's why you have to have grace and mercy. So he says, I'm going to get rid of all the people who are rebelling against me. But, as merciful as God is, he says, but I'm going to send somebody to warn him yet. Who do you say he's going to send? Who do you say he's going to send to warn him? Elijah, right? Question. If we look at Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11, uh, who was Elijah? Who was the New Testament Elijah? John the Baptist. Who? Mark chapter 1, 1 through 11. Is who? John. How do you know? Just like who? 
Elijah, there's your connection. Everybody who was there who knew of the old prophecies, they knew about Elijah, right? So when they see this man come out of the desert and he's preaching, they say, he's the one. We haven't heard anything for 400 years. Here comes the guy. All right? That makes sense? Now the next thing I need you to see, the second part of that is, what, what, what did John eat? Locusts and wild honey from where? The wilderness. All right? We're going to go tomorrow. Uh, uh, okay, now let me ask this question. What was the purpose of the wilderness in the Old Testament? When they came out of Egypt and they were in the desert in the wilderness, what was, what was the wilderness? Exactly. The wilderness was the wilderness wanted was a school. And the whole purpose of them going out of Egypt and having nothing was to learn to depend on God for everything. So now you got this man who appears just like Elijah, right? And the only thing he's eating is that which he finds in the desert, which means his trust is completely on who? Which tells them this is the God. Because remember, Old Testament is the root. New Testament is the proof. A lot of things you saw in the Old Testament were physical manifestations of spiritual realities. Alright? So then, so they had to see when they saw Elijah, when they saw uh, uh, John the baptizer, it reminded them, connected them to the past, and then connected them to the future. Messiah is on the way. So now they were all paying attention to him, right? Remember what we said last week? John says this. All right, everybody looking, everybody looking, everybody looking, everybody looking, everybody looking. And guess what? I'm not the one. Everybody's paying attention to John. Physical, right? But he's saying, no, this thing's about to be spiritual. So John says, you guys all look, remember how great Elijah was? Well, the one that's coming behind me is greater than Elijah, greater than me. Matter of fact, I'm not even worthy. To, to undo his sins. That's how mighty the one that's coming behind him. So what is the lesson there? That Jesus, now, John was a great man, right? Elijah was a great man. But who was going to be greater than Jesus? That tells you about the superiority of Jesus. And one thing we do learn about Jesus is Jesus was 100% what? Divine, he was also 100% what? Amen. Human, absolutely. So, if we're going to talk about John, so Mark chapter 1 starts to talk about John, right? We see John. And we know that John came to, in short, we know that he came to preach, right? He came to prepare, and he came to Promote. That's what John the Immerser came to do. What did he came? To, what did he come to preach about? Huh? Nope. Read the scriptures, y'all. He did say that, but even before that, he was preaching. If you read Mark chapter one, baptism and what else? Repentance. See, he came to preach uh, repentance, right? 
Repent, which means change. He came to preach that, right? And he came to repair. He came to prepare who? Huh? Everybody. He came to prepare everybody to receive the one that's coming behind him. He came to mind and hearts of the people. So see, preaching is to prepare the minds to receive Christ. But this leads to that. You gotta have that. And he had to prepare. He had to prepare the people, right? He prepared the people, right? But now, if he prepared the people, he's preparing them to receive. Right? Now, if they're gonna receive Christ, in order to receive Christ, if you receive Christ, guess what? You get a new start. So you're gonna be restored, you're gonna be rejuvenated, right? So, so he came to preach repentance, prepare them to receive rejuvenation, which is only going to be found in Christ Jesus. But the only way you can get that is this. Going back to what, what he preached, what did he do? Uh, he preached repentance, which is change, right? Then he also does it say there in Mark chapter 1, 1 through 11, that um, all Judea came out to him? Anybody see that? What did all Judea come out to him do? Confessing sins, right? They were confessing sins, right? And then they were being baptized. Now, when you look at that, before a person could receive Jesus, properly receive what Jesus was bringing them, they were going to have to repent. It's going to change. They were going to, they were going to have to remember how we talked about uh, in Isaiah 40, it talks about how one is going to come and he's going to level the mountains and the hills. Last week we talked about that. Those hills, 400 years of God not talking, who do you think the state of people are? What's the state of their hearts? They jacked up, right? As a matter of fact, what we talked about is you can look at Mark 1 and look at Genesis 1. Genesis 1, before God spoke, what was the state of the world? Darkness and without form, right? There was no form, it was utterly darkness, no structure. Until what? Until God spoke, right? So, and then when God spoke, the whole world came into order. What does that say? When God speaks, when his word comes into play, everything falls in So 400 years without him speaking, everything's a hot mess. But now he speaks through John. That means God is about to set everything in order for those who will be willing to receive it. Yes, ma'am. No, that that would be uh, that's that's John the Apostle. Uh, John the Apostle, somebody call him John the Revelator. He's the one who wrote the Book of Revelation and also First, Second, and Third John, and also the Book of John. That John is different from John the Immersive. Two different Johns. All right. So, does everybody see this? That he came prepared. So the thing is, when you come to the Word, when you hear the preaching of the Word. The preaching of the word is supposed to do this. It pricks. It pricks in order 
to, to get you to want to be prepared. But now John was also promoting. And let me talk to my promoter. What does it mean to promote something? Uh, create the awareness. Create the awareness, right? When you got a street team, what's the street team do? Everywhere, everywhere, it's, it's whatever's going on, party, whatever's going on, you got the little flyer like, hey, the party's going to make me sure here, all right? Let's get in for a team. All right, all right, for sure, bring your friends, all right? You know, that's what you do, right? You can even go out to the parking lot of somebody else's club. Right? People say, what's this, man? Oh, friends, oh, we, we won't be here. John came to promote the gospel. The coming of Christ and the coming of the kingdom. So there's a message to Christians. One thing we're supposed to do is promote. We're supposed to promote the message, the gospel of Christ, and everything we say and everything we do. We should be, just like you would publicize your party, or whatever you got going on, we should be publicizing Jesus the same way. Absolutely. What's that? You should be pumping Jesus the exact same way. Yes, sir. Do we need miracles more now? How are you going to convince these people 
that God has sent these 12 men to preach it. How's he going to do it? Miracles, right? Miracles, right? And it's going to have to be stronger miracles than everything else that's going on, right? Now, let me ask you something about faith. Is it true faith if you have to see it in order to believe it? No, right? But when you're new to something, sometimes you got to do what? you got to see some things sometimes when you're new, so I need to see it, then I can, you know, get a feel for it, right? Yes. And then go to 1 Corinthians 13. Yes. Uh, uh, Nico, read. Though I bestow all my goods to 
stop. But why are they going to stop? Keep reading. Whether there is knowledge, there is eventually that they lose no report, and we prophesy report. So when that which is purpose has come, and that which is report will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I was good as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away child's sin. All right, so let me ask you a question. What do you think the child's thing is? That's natural, in our life, right? But I'm saying in context of what we're reading, what do you think the child is thinking of? Huh? What? See that? The miracles were there. You see it so you can believe it. He said, now, that's in part, right? Because the church was still young. The church wasn't even around for 30 years by that point. Right? So he says, well, but that which is in part. Now, what is he saying? When that which is perfect comes, what is he talking about? I'm going to show you. He's referring to something that's incomplete. What did I just tell you they didn't have? They didn't have New Testament scriptures, right? But once you had New Testament scriptures, once you had the whole story, then you can read it for yourself, know what God is doing, and then you make a choice. Do I believe it or don't? Do I need a show? Or do I believe what this word is saying? See, back then, they had those things, right? But when that which is perfect, which is the word of God, once it was completed and they had all the scriptures to read and talk about, and matter of fact, in John, the book of John says, these things were written so that you may know that you have salvation. And now Hebrews chapter 1 says, in sundry times they spoke through the Father, they spoke through prophets, but now he speaks to us through his word, his word. Now, is the word enough for you to read and believe that Jesus is real? Yeah. Is the word enough for you to read? Do you need a show? Why? Trust. 
Where there's no trust, guess what else there's going to be? None of Faith. No love. No trust, no love. Faith is trust. No trust, no love. No, no love, no trust. See, and if you got to always pull on a show to convince a person every time, that ain't even working 50 first, first dates. <laughs> you ever heard of that <laughs> My dude, every day. He was like, oh, this is too much. I'm about to just take this and I'm going to play it back. Right? <laughs> right? So then, so then at this point, instead of him doing all that, she can sit and watch it. And she see her. She see him. She see what they talking about. And does she believe Bible. You see Jesus. You see him die. You see the greatest miracle ever. You see him get up from the grave. You see him live, go amongst his uh, apostles for 40 some days, show everybody, and you see him going back up to glory. He says, I'll be back. And do you believe? But it's here for sure. Some people, no matter what you do, they just not going to believe. Step back and let it work. We just finished talking about that. 
You got to step back and let it work. But that takes love, what you just read about, love, right? And the reason why I had uh, Kurt go to Acts 8, because in Acts 8, you see a man called Simon the Sorcerer. Now, I'm going to tell you, read about Simon the Sorcerer, just go back to manipulate, right? Simon the Sorcerer had this little power, the tricks he could do. And he had everybody in that region following him. They lifted him up. But then here come Peter, preaching the gospel. And Peter got down there, and he was preaching to these Gentiles who were not Jews, and they didn't believe they could become Christians. As Peter preached, God sent the Holy Spirit to them to show them that yes, the, 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 yes, the um, Gentiles could be privy to the promise, right? So then Simon looks and he was like, for real? He was like, how much? How much I'll pay you to give me that power? Peter said, let your money perish with you. For you thought, because now, Simon was a Christian by this time, right? He obeyed the gospel, but he wanted the trick, right? He said, and Peter said, you better pray that your soul not be lost. He said, well, won't you pray for me? He said, no, you pray that God will blot out your sins and wash them away. Because why? Well, who, was, who was Simon after? He was after the power. He wanted to be able to do tricks and keep manipulating people. He wanted that money, right? First Timothy chapter 6 says, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of it. You shouldn't be chasing that. You should be instead, Jesus said, the one who seeks to save his life will lose it. But the one who gives his life gains everything. I, my pockets can be empty, but if I have Jesus, I got everything. Because when he speaks, he puts things in order. If he speaks and I obey, he can put my life in order. And he can take me from jobless to having a job. He can take me from moneyless to having all my bills paid. But that's if I'm willing to Repent, receive him, turn. And John preached baptism. The reason why he preached baptism is because, you remember when Jesus died on the cross? What came out of his side? Water. And what? Water. water and blood. There was a reason for that. Because when it goes down, see, water and blood, it was going to be the cleansing agent. So then, and notice what John said. John said, I baptized for repentance. And, for, and another thing I should wrote down was also, Forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. So, you got to get all these things before you can get Jesus. Forgiveness of sins. So, here's the thing. He says, I'm just baptizing with water. But the one who's coming behind me can baptize with fire. Now, he wasn't talking about literal fire. What he was talking about was the Holy Spirit. He can place the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit will lead you in understanding of God's word. See, people teach today the Holy Spirit is supposed to make you flip, skip, slide, and swing from chandelier. Doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit has one purpose. It's the comforter and it's to lead you in God's will. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we're not supposed to fill out. I had the same conversation that he had. We're not supposed to fill out bits of third or like, you know, don't get angry at all. No, you can see here's the thing. Anger in and of itself is not sinful. But what you allow anger to uh, to push you to do is. Romans said the anger of a man cannot accomplish the righteousness of God. So you can be moved to what's called a righteous indignation. Righteous indignation is like what Jesus felt when he went into the temple and they had turned his, his father's house into a temple. They were selling stuff. 
And he came in with the whip and said, my father's house is a house of prayer. And you turned it into a den of thieves. So you can, you can be motivated to stand up for God's word, but not argue, not, act, not, not quarrel back and forth. And typically he says, don't get caught up with wrangling about words, because guess what? It just causes more ungodliness. And it causes people to be lost rather than saved. That makes sense to everybody? So now the reason why you got to hit that water, because that blood is the only cleansing agent that can wash every sin away. And in Mark chapter 1, we see three people on the scene. Remember what we read in Mark, it was describing what event in Jesus' life. His baptism, right? Ask a question. Um, and uh, you, you, you kind of see why the miracles don't have to exist when we have the word, right? So now here's the thing. Jesus was baptized by John. John said, I can't baptize you. Now people always say, whoa, 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 whoa. If baptism is for repentance and forgiveness of sin, and Jesus had no sin, then why did Jesus have to get baptized? Anybody know? Yes. That's going down the right track. And it says so right there. It says, he says, suffer me to do this, because I have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, Jesus was 100% human, 100% divine, right? So here's the thing. Jesus is showing, I'm never going to ask you to do anything that I haven't first done myself. So he's saying that all men are going to have to do what? Repent, confess sins, be baptized, before the Holy Spirit can even come to live in But guess what? Are there people today who teach that you don't have to be baptized? There people teach that, right? Is it true? No. But they teach it, don't they? Yeah, Romans 9. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. But that same Lord who is the Lord of your life says, be baptized for the remission of your sin. He that believes is baptized shall be saved. So if a man saying, don't be baptized, he's saying, be baptized, who you going to believe? you got to go down to that water, have all sin washed away, and once that happens, God puts a piece of himself, the Holy Spirit, in you. Because now he's going to help you to live the life that he wants you to live. He's going to teach you from within. But yes.
Is that a problem? Huh? He hit the nail on the head. They still want to be. They said, no, I'm just doing it for professional reasons. You better change all that stationery. Can you still be a professional? With the last name Williams? Yeah! Just because you change your last name don't mean the fame go away. But see, when you try to hyphenate, that means you're still trying to stay back there and step up here at the same time. Can't straddle the fence. Either you all for Jesus or you're not at all because he doesn't do what he has to stuff. So when we come talk about, I'm going to just hyphenate this, you know, I'm going to my family just go on and I want our genes to spread forever. <laughs> I am the last one of my family. <laughs> no! Because when you say I'm going to be joined to you, that means I'm giving everything to you. We two are about to become one. When somebody comes out here and obey the gospel, all that stuff they learn, and mind you, you can't find denomination in the Bible anywhere. You leave all that denominational stuff that you learn, and it ain't no shame. All the denominations of you say, guess what I just found out? That wasn't right. I can prove it now. I got them for a Marlene, is it not true? Don't just grin. Is it not true? She said, I got to leave all that. And she went down in that water and came up a Christian home. Walking in the newness of life. Not reaching back and trying to move forward. That's how it works. That's why we preach that every time, every day. And there's no altar call. Like the doors of the church are now. That doesn't even exist. The doors of the Lord's church are open all day, every day, 24 hours a day. Anytime you're ready to give your life over and become new, become a true child of God, say the word, Mr. Lord. So I ask, when people come in here, why don't anybody believe in No one. They come in here and uh, God works with them and says, you need to change. You need to give up your life. You need to let go of that stuff that's holding you back. Why would you leave? Thank you. That makes sense. Does it make sense to come in sinful and leave sinful? What people do? They say, well, I ain't ready to give up some stuff, Brother Johnson. You know, I ain't going to give up everything at once. No, you have to be willing when God will work out. That makes sense, everybody? So, what we'll do, we're going to cut this right here. Homework uh, for next week. Uh, in in the, uh, Mark, I want you to read. Uh, Mark, I want you to read. We'll read the homework right now. Everybody can write that down. Because we're going we're gonna, to... Uh, we're going to continue, uh, we're, going to, we're going to finish this. I was talking about John, but we still need to talk about Jesus. All right, so uh, let me give you. I need you to read the next week. I need you to read uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And I want you to give me um, three characteristics of Christ's followers. Three characteristics of Christ followers. <clears throat> Three characteristics. By the way, what is our what is the key word that we see in the book of Mark? What's the key word? Immediately. 
through the book of Mark, because Mark is the shortest gospel, and it shows Jesus as the Savior on the move. He's a man of action. And immediately, in some of your translations, it says straightway. Straightway and immediately mean the same thing. So it tells you that Jesus was always ready to make, to take action for his people when? Right now. He's willing to obey his father when? Right now. And the example is when we hear we need to be, be ready to obey right now. Be ready to change your life right now. Right? So I want you to tell me what were the three characteristics of his followers when you read Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. We'll cover it. We'll go, we'll cover the rest of this about the baptism, and then we'll slide right into that. Alright? This is what we're doing now. We're studying Jesus. We're studying the life of Jesus through the um through the perspective of the gospel of Mark. Alright? So that's what we'll be in that book. So that's homework. And as you guys have heard me say, I just told him, I just told everybody the way to become a Christian is only one way and one way only. To come down to the water and say, I'm leaving now. That's right. He's quoting there where it says, in the Bible says, the day of salvation, harden not your heart. When you hear Jesus calling, don't become more stubborn. Let your heart be soft. Let him have it. Let him change it. And you do that by just saying, Lord, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm tired of being out there. I grew up in, 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 in denominationalism. I see where some things I was taught were wrong and it's hindering my growth. Lord, I want to come out. I want to be a true child of God. I want to share all the man-made stuff and only walk in Bible-made stuff. And you come down and say, I'm ready. So we take you down the water and raise the You come up. You're buried with Christ, resurrected with Christ. You're added to the body of Christ. That's why this place is called the Church of Christ. Because it was bought with his blood, Acts 20, verse 28. He's the only head of the church, the only foundation. Not a pastor, not a bishop, not a reverend. There are any of them. They can't be the head. There's only one head, Jesus. And the headquarters of the church of Christ, nowhere on earth. It's in heaven. If you're ever looking for the headquarters of the church of God in Christ, you can find it in Memphis. But the Lord's church has no earthly headquarters. Oh, if you want to become a Christian, you have that opportunity. Christians, if you have to live the way you should, you ought to be repenting of sin every day, praying that God will, uh, will wipe away that sin. He's faithful to wash away your sin. First uh, John says, if you confess your sin, he'll be faithful to wash away the blood of the Son. And he says, unless you repent, you'll all like life perish. And if you will repent, he'll send moments of refreshment from above and blot out all your sins. It's never a shameful thing to confess or repent of sin. That takes true strength. It is the old and be made new. Is anyone who wishes to become a Christian uh, this evening or uh, wishes?